Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to this other beautiful, beautiful day because it's overcast and it was raining earlier, so it's cool here. 79 degrees, just climbed up actually, just as I looked at it, over 80. And we've got about 60% chance of rain today. So everything's growing, it's green and beautiful. And we are are moving on into uh, July, pretty quick. So the summer's moving along, which is okay with me. I mean, it's very pretty, but mm, it's getting hot, 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 hot. Well, um, if you guys will indulge me, we will look over into this day in history. By the way, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. As we read through chronologically the Bible in one year, we are making a lot of time. We're making a good time here halfway through. Um, World War I started on this day, essentially, 1914, when Austrian Archduke Franz Frednard, Fredenard and his wife were assassinated in Sarajevo, Bosnia, by a Serbian nationalist. And that then caused Austria to get on board a month later, and things spun out of control. World War I started, in which 16 million people would die. And then, that was in 1914, and then in 1919, um, on the same day, June 28th, the Treaty of Versailles was signed in Germany, ending the state of war between Germany and Allied forces. Now, it required Germany to accept sole responsibility for starting the war, and many historians believe that the harsh terms of the treaty led to World War II. Interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of details on that. <laughs> I, yeah, you'd have to be a story, historian to understand all those details. Well, let's look at a couple of dad jokes as well. So as we see what's going on in history, we'll see what's going on in the world of, of <laughs> the invention of bad dad jokes. Here's one. Did you know that the shovel was a groundbreaking invention? Of course you did. What do you call a, a fish with two knees? A toonie fish. <laughs> what do skateboarders do when they're really good? They go pro. I know, I know. Go pro? The camera? Okay, they go pro. Uh, here's, a really, here's a really cricket one. This is a, the, my definite... Can, I can... Kayak. Canoe? Can, nah, that's, not even, that's not even a dad joke. That's just dumb. Uh, all right. Let's look now at the reading for today. It is in Second Samuel. Find your place. We are in chapter 21 this morning. So let's pray and get started. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, gathering us together. And uh, Father, we desire to listen, to read, to hear what you have to say, what you did through your servant David, through the prophets, through the psalmists, through Stephen in the book of Acts, 
God, how you have been working your plan of salvation from the very beginning. Help us see these things, be able to connect the dots, understand your purpose, and be guided by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Samuel chapter 21. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the presence of the Lord, and the Lord said, It is for Saul and his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the sons of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the sons of Israel made a covenant with them, but Saul had sought to kill them in the zeal for the sons of Israel and Judah. Thus David said to the Gibeonites, What should I do for you, and how can I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Then the Gibeonites said to him, We have no concern of silver or gold with Saul or his house, nor is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. But he said, I will do for you whatever you say. So they said to the king, The man who consumed us and who planned to exterminate us was from remaining within any border of Israel. Let seven men from his sons be given to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath of the Lord, which was between them, between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. So the king took the two sons, Rizpha, the daughter of Ahiah, Armoni, and Mephibosheth, whom she had borne to Saul, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she had borne to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholadite. And he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the mountain before the Lord, so that the seven of them fell together, and they were put to death in the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Rizpha, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock, from the beginning of the harvest until it rained on them from the sky. And she allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, the concubine of Saul, had done, then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the open square at Beth-shan where the Philistines had hanged them on that day, the Philistines struck down Saul and Gilboa. He brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged, and they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the grave of Kish, his father. Thus he did all that the king commanded, and after that God was moved by prayer, for the land. Now when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David went down and his servants with him, and as they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then Ishbi, Benob, who was among the descendants of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, was girded with a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. 
Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. Now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Nob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. There was war in the Philistines again at Gob. And Elanon, the son of Ja'ari Oragim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was a war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he also had been born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shemai, David's brother, struck him down. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of the servants. Well, you've got to be impressed. <laughs> you have to be blown away by the fact that David's men could take on these giants. Of course, David did when he was young. This is now David older in his life, and it would seem that they, his men are going, David, look, you're king, and you're a little older now. Um, better let us take on the, the giants for you. As because of their honoring their king, they want, they knew that he needed to, to not extinguish, not have the light of Israel extinguished. He was groomed for a special purpose to reign as king, and he did not need to be fighting the giants at this point in his life. But having said that, uh, David certainly was willing. And what is so profoundly interesting to me is how we see these giants continuing on throughout the Old Testament, um, obviously well after the flood and um, into the time of David. And the people just seem to accept it. To us, it would, we would think there would just be volumes and volumes written about the giants. But to them, they had already, always been around. It wasn't unique to them. They're like, yeah, there's giants. Um, and what is sad is that we never hear about any good giants. Um, why? Well, that gets back to Genesis 6 and the fallen angels having these relationships with the daughters of men. They were, they were evil. They were a very, the giants were not um, good people. And uh, so they weren't jolly and they weren't green. They were evil. They, and so they were coming against Israel. Obviously, they were Canaanites, and when you study into them, th their history is really vile and really, really uh, horrific, including cannibalism. So uh, what's fascinating to me is how God strengthens his people to take on the giants. The, the spiritual applications of this is all over the place. Is that you don't look at the size of the enemy. You look at the size of your God. And that has always been the perception, the way that you win the battle. You don't look at the size of the army. You look at the size of your God. And, and so this is how these men could come and take on this. How David could in the beginning when he first looked at Goliath. He come at to me with defying the God of Israel? Are you kidding? He says, I'm coming at you with the name of 
in the, in the obedience or in the name of my Lord and my God, David knew that his strength and his power was in his God. And so this is what we're to see these things and go, man, I would run away in fear. And maybe not, maybe not. Maybe at that moment when you can get confronted with something giant coming against you, if you know the God that you serve, he may well empower you to take it on. And I'm very blessed to see the people that are taking on the, the political stuff that's going on or the attacks, the pastors that weighed the um, Romans 13 issue with the COVID and, and the, the police and all of the governing authorities coming against them saying, you must close your church, you must not have worship services. And when they knew that it wasn't a health issue anymore, said, no, I'm making a stand here. And how God used so many of them and blessed them, including John MacArthur, but um, Jack Hick, uh, Hibbs, and all these other guys. Amazing to see that. Now we see people in up in Ukraine and pastors there, pastors in war-torn areas, saying, I'm going to go out and make a stand. Yeah, Victor Marx, going out in the middle of the war-torn countries and going in to, to receive people. These are men and women that look and believe that God is bigger than their giant in front of them. And we can take that to heart and learn a lot from it. Psalm chapter 5, prayer for protection from the wicked, for the choir director, for flute accompaniment, a psalm of David, which I'd love to hear these things by the melodies that they, that they made for these songs back in their time. Give heed to my words, O Lord, consider my groanings. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence to you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, hold them out. For they are rebellious against you. And let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, that you may shelter them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as a shield. <laughs> and I would say that would apply to what happens with when in Second Samuel here with David and his men going up against the, the giants. You surround them with your shield that they could stand up. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to be standing in front of a man that was anywhere from 9 to 13 feet tall, 14 feet tall. In, in David's day, they were kind of small giants. They were actually much bigger, so we're told, around the time of the flood. 
but anyway, imagine a guy that's close to twice your height or is twice your height, easy twice your height, and looking up at that and saying, and, and also broad. These guys were big. They weren't skinny. Uh, they were big. And uh, the weaver's beam was just mad. It would be like, I don't know what it would be like holding today a 4 by 4 It would be amazing what these guys were wielding. Um, unless you had trust in your God, you would die. You would faint of fear. But they, yet they were able to just come and take them, take them on. And, of course, you know, the, the old adage is the bigger they are, the easier they are to hit. So that was kind of their adage. Well, I can't miss. They're that big. Anyway, Acts chapter 7 now. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Hear me, brethren. Of course, we're talking about Stephen now. This is Stephen's big testimony to the, to the Jewish nations. And this is the great chapter of the martyrdom of, of Stephen. So he continues on. Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. He said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land and that they would be enslaved and be mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge. God said, and after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Now a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. From there, they were removed to Shechem and laid in a tomb which Abraham had purchased for the sum of money from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promises approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing of Joseph. And it was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and that they would not survive. It was at this time 
that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And when he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting again, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are my brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, did you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of a burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he approached to look more closely, there came a voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they disowned, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers and he received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him and in their hearts and turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. And at that time they made a calf and brought the sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrificed 40 years in the wilderness, was it? O house of Israel, you also took along the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of the god of Ramtha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. 
And, and having received it, in their turn, our fathers brought it in upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him, whoever. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all th these things? You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. Verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. Touched by the, just the, the, the very closing part where he cries out to the, his Lord Jesus, his good shepherd. He knew that even in death, Jesus was still good. He knew even in death, he was actually being counted worthy to die for his namesake. The first martyr, first martyr, Stephen. We, we have to marvel at this because none of the disciples had died up to this point. And you would think that they believed in Jesus coming back. They believed that they had been set free from sin. They had understood what the covenant was all about. So why wouldn't God bless them? And why wouldn't these Jews understand the gospel as they had? And here he realizes he does this beautiful sermon, this beautiful recounting of the history of Israel. And he said, look, from the very beginning, God raised up men that you rejected. Look at Moses. Moses came to Israel, his own people, and said, I'm here to deliver you. And they said, no, you're not. And they rejected him. And in the wilderness, he said, I'm here with the Lord to help you and deliver you and bring you into the... And they said, we don't want you. Basically... Stephen said their whole time they were there, they were more or less sacrificing to Moloch. They were, they were sacrificing to their gods of Egypt. They, they were hard-hearted. They were stiff-necked all through this time. And he says, you guys are doing the same thing, the very same thing. You are slow to accept the things that God is doing. And he says, but I'm telling you, basically, in my own words, he says, I'm telling you right now that what God did through Jesus was real and that you're still resisting him. And this is why when he, <laughs> he looks up and he says, I see the, the Son of Man. They knew that meant Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. That's a place of honor, a place of authority.
And so that was supposed to be the place where Abraham was, or Moses, but I think Abraham. But have Jesus there? Oh, to them, blasphemy. So they, of course, stone him to death. And uh, not a pleasant way to die. But I would, I would hope that gazing up into the heavens and seeing the Lord, he was so filled with the presence of the Lord that maybe God just allowed him to fall asleep without feeling all that pain. I don't know. But it, it was the thing that started, jump-started the church because old Saul was there that would later be Paul, and he saw all this. And he heard the words of Stephen, <laughs> I see Jesus the right hand of God and, and praying not to hold the sin against him. Those words must have haunted him. Must have haunted him seeing this man recount perfectly the history of Israel. And this is what was so amazing and should be amazing and should affect people today when someone can rightly divide the word and, and explain to you exactly what it says. You may not accept it the first time around, but it sticks with you because truth will set you free. And when someone proclaims the truth so plainly to you, even though you at first don't want to receive it or hear it, it stays with you. It certainly did with me, and I imagine it did with you. Most of the time you hear someone speak the truth, and it's so plain that you go, oh, yeah. How many of us were like the Jews? We heard it, and we heard God was the Lord and Savior, but we rejected it, and we hardened our heart towards it. No. I don't want you reigning over my life. I want my own control. I want my own religion. I want my own system. But we can't get around the truth, especially when it's presented so plainly in the Bible, so clearly in the Word, and it has a transforming effect. And I'm so thankful for that. And that is the power of the Word of God. And that's why we continue to read it chapter by chapter. We continue to teach it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, every week. Charles Spurgeon now, one look from the Lord. And the angel looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Judges six fourteen. What a look was that which the Lord gave Gideon. He looked at him out of his discouragement into a holy bravery. If our look to the Lord saves us, what will not his look at us do? Look on me this day and nerve me for its duties and conflicts. What a word was this which Jehovah spoke to Gideon. Go, he must not hesitate. He might have answered, what? Go in all this weakness? But the Lord put that word out of court by saying, go in this thy might. The Lord had looked might into him, and he had now nothing to do but to use it and save Israel by smiting the Midianites. It may be that the Lord has more to do by me than I ever dreamed of. If he has looked upon me, he has made me strong. Let me by faith exercise the power with which he has entrusted me. He never bids me idle away my time in this thy might. Far from it. I must go because he strengthens me. What a question is that which the Lord puts to me even as he put it to Gideon. Have not I sent thee? Yes, Lord, thou hast sent me. I will go in thy strength. At thy command I go. And going, I am assured that thou wilt conquer by me. Hmm. How's that for a encouraging 
word and to take on your giants. Go in this, thy strength, thy mind, which is the strength of the Lord. Not in idleness. doesn't say, go thou in the strength of thy idleness and do nothing. Pretty, pretty thought-provoking and a little bit convicting. So let's pray and try and apply all this into our lives this morning. Father, thank you for giving us these words and, and showing us that all things are possible in you and for using the weak things of this world to confound the wise. We understand as Gideon felt himself very weak, they're hiding in a threshing place, afraid of the Midianites. That is where you called him in his fear and hiding. And so that describes a lot of us, Father. So help us be attentive to your word, to listen to it, and to be willing to come out and follow you where you guide us and minister in your strength. Thank you for the opportunities you have given us and are continuing to give us. And put your words in our mouth, Father. Give us the heart and understanding of the word like Stephen to simply tell the people plainly in our own words what happened in the Bible, how it all came about, what you did through Israel and how you used them to bring in the Messiah so that we could be forgiven and set free. God, let that be within us, within our ability and, um, and power to explain. We do pray that you continue to use us all everyone that's listening, God, to be able to explain that to someone that they care about, somebody that, that asks, that needs to hear it. So that we may see your church grow and we can see things um, starting to happen. You know, we can see people saved out of an eternity of, of hell and separation and we could be with them and have, see them as part of the family for eternity. What a beautiful thing. And um, I, we thank you for the, all those you've already touched through us and, and the way you've touched our lives. We just want to give you thanks and praise this morning for that. Thank you for the fellowship that we have one with another, for encouraging one another to continue on in this race and in this battle. And in that, Father, we do want to pray for those that need encouragement and strength. We want to certainly pray for those who have felt beat down through everything that's been going on and discouraged. Father, let them feel the warmth of your love because the enemy would like to do nothing more than keep us discouraged and keep us depressed and keep us feeling like there's no way we can ever get ahead or really be a good servant or ever be loved by you. All these lies. Father, let us be encouraging one to another and not, and not criticizing one another. And uh, Father, um, we desire to see your church grow in all aspects so embolden us give us the gifts baptize us father fill us with your holy spirit afresh to be ministering in your spirit and father we do want to lift up the, the people that have come that are new the people that are searching and the people invited to here that are still searching they haven't found a church they're fine looking for a way to find out what reality is to find out to find peace with you and to find meaning in their life father we ask that you would bring them in that we might be an encouragement to them. And I pray you raise up within our church, Father, everyone that goes there to have a heart of a greeter, a heart of someone that's willing to engage in conversation and share the love of Christ with anyone who walks in the door and share the truth of the gospel with them. 
Father, help us to be that church that is the ministering church, not looking to be ministered to, but looking to minister. Continue to raise us up in that aspect, God. And bless those that are hurting uh, physically and dealing with a lot of difficult things. We pray that Juan Carlos has been able to eat and that he's got his, his appetite back and he can build up for the surgery that's that's coming on. And we pray that everyone else is going through their, their treatments, that it's going well. Um, and we want to, Father, desire to hear um, updates and encouragement from those that are going through it. Thank you for the many people that have been healed and that are um, sending out little notices to us on how things are going. And, um, and Father, we want to pray for others in the body that are, that are dealing with certain things. There's certainly a lot of people dealing with children um, and grandchildren that are in states of rebellion or in states of um, poor health even. And Father, we want to lift them up. Those that have been so confused by the current culture and by social media and um, are now having uh, questions of their own identity and not be confused by everything that's going on in the culture. Father, we pray for clarity and you give the parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles that are believers, give them hearts of love and hearts to be able to explain clearly what you have said in your word about how we are to live in this world and how we're to interact with one another, interact with you. Father, we pray against the, the demonic influence in the culture, in the, in the media. and pray that you break through. Break through in everything that's going on. We pray everything that's going on with this whole overturn of Roe versus Wade, that you would rise up the believers to be strong in love and to be strong, yes, in the defense of life and the decision of the court, but that we do it, Father, with grace and that we do it with gentleness. And so that people can, can discern the difference between those who have been led down a very dark path and are confused and have so much anger and those who are at peace. God, let us be the people of peace even though when they're being attacked and even though they're in the cities that are dealing with all of these very, very angry protesters. Give the people and the people of pro-life, just give them, Father, gentle spirits. Give them wisdom on how to deal with these attacks and these interviews that'll be all over the internet and all over television and radio. Give them powerful words, biblical words, words that cannot give them truth like Stephen. God used them in in that sense to make a strong defense for your gospel. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of so many believers around the world. And thank you for using us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now I'm saying bye-bye. Thank you guys for being with us. This morning, it's uh, great to read into the Word. Great to see some of the things that are going on there and the, um, the mighty men and the mighty women that God used in the Bible. Used, they're there to encourage us. So be encouraged this morning. And we will see you again tomorrow at the very same time. God bless you all. Looking forward to seeing you then. Bye-bye.